What's up, everybody? Hello, and welcome to episode number 170 of the VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell. Uh, coming at you on a beautiful Friday afternoon. Uh, looks like we're about to have a biblical-level storm, which is nice because we need the rain. How are you going, Alex? I'm just happy to hear that a criminal's going to jail. Yeah, breaking news. Yeah, yes. this has just come out now. Yeah, literally it's just come out now, so that we don't have a resource for it, and there's not a whole lot of information. However, our good old friend, Sam Bankman-Fried, has just been found guilty on all counts. Literally just happened as we went to air. I just want to say thank you to Paul, who I've made a bet with. I bet that his associates, being his girlfriend, uh, what was her name again, uh, and the two, two other people were going to get away. They were mm-hmm. going to turn on SBF, yep. and SBF would do all the time. And his words to me this morning were, oh, I think we need to like talk about that bet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is another word for, I lost that bet. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because she, she 100% flipped on him and testified against him. Oh, they did it day one. Yeah, yeah. Day one. Smart move. Hmm. But... Uh, the, I'd do so, it to you in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. SBF is the was the founder and CEO of FTX, a big crypto exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the one spending millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars on increasing his profile, buying arenas or rights to arenas, paying off government agents. And I want to say this: so forty percent of Congress received donations from SBF and FTX. That's not good value for money if they can't even keep you out of jail. Well, <laughs> now he's been found guilty. Obviously, then the sentencing comes, and then True. potentially a pardon from President Biden, who was the beneficiary of a lot of that money, may be coming shortly after that. It'll be it'll be very interesting to see what happens from here. That's true. I think as part of the bet, he had to go to jail. Yeah. Okay. So it's not over yet. It's, it's not, not over, over yet. yet. There'll no, there'll be I'll appeals and all that sort of stuff too. I'm sure. But um, it's one for the good guys. And only because, like, even this week, I've, I've spoken to people, obviously Bitcoin's been on a run. So I'd spoken to people about some other stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, but, like, um, crypto is for uh, criminals. And they, they always cite this FTX. So, mm. uh, but it's, FTX was not a crypto scheme. That's FTX right. was regular old um, corruption. Yeah. You just stole money, like any company, like like publicly listed companies could do the exact same thing. Crypto Absolutely. did not enable it. It was just old school theft: raise a bunch of money of yep. people and steal it, mm-hmm. and and pay for protection rackets around you by paying off politicians yeah. and and whoever you thought you needed to. So hmm. you're right. That that's the big thing for me. This is one for the good guys. This yeah. is some of that accountability that we have been chasing for so long, and and what I find very interesting about this period of time that we're, we're living in. So we said at the beginning of this year that we thought 2023 would be the year of investigations and the mm. year of this accountability starting to come. And we are starting to see some of these things dripping through. So this SBF one, that is a big one. Because at the end of the day, the guy had lots of money and a lot of powerful friends. He's he's not like a big fish, but he's he's up there. In, so he had no influence, but he definitely had the resource. In terms of like financial yeah. resource, I would class him as a big fish because you know it's probably going to turn out that billions of dollars were funneled through naughty channels. Yep. 
um, and, and literally just stolen off its users. And that gives you your influence. Because, for sure. Because you're, essentially, if you go down, you could take everyone else with you. There is incentive for your powerful friends to keep you out of jail, or at least to keep you from not testifying against them. But no, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. Mm. I hope you go to jail. Uh, I hope you go to jail for a long time. Yep. And I hope people are now more confident to get back into the space. Now, I do want to say this. I do want to say this. There has been talk about the bad side of crypto, and they keep citing the FTX, like I said before. Mm -hmm. But I'm sick of hearing Bitcoin's used for drug dealing or or money laundering. Mm -hmm. And my response to the last person that said it to me was, oh, how did people money launder before Bitcoin? Yeah. Using cash. And th- right? And it's still, ca- like, and by volume, cash is laundered at a massive rate. Yeah. And the reason why you wouldn't use Bitcoin to launder money is because it is a public ledger. That's right. Which means anyone, including you, me, and the authorities, can go and have a look and find out where the wallets are sending the money. That's right. So it, Bitcoin would be the dumbest place to launder money. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you wanted to launder money, you would just go and bank with JP Morgan and Chase. And as long as you're yeah. big enough, they will just allow you to launder money through their accounts for 13 years. And potentially even five years after, you've been convicted of being a uh, sex criminal for children. A la that's, Jeffrey Epstein. But that's okay, apparently. Yeah, that's exactly. That's okay. That's A-okay. Now, there's a few things that I wanted to get into in this show. And speaking of accountability and the things that we have been chasing up, our... There's certain people in Australian politics that we have been backing throughout this pandemic mess who have been just spading away, working hard, bashing their heads against this brick wall of censorship and corruption the entire time. But slowly but surely, the truth is coming to light because it always does. It always does eventually. And the first clip I'd like you to bring up, if you can, is... uh... Yeah, okay, we we can start with this one if you like. So if you can zoom in slightly... Um, so this is uh, was reported on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, by an account called Aussie17. Uh, so this is their substack. Shocking response from the TGA regarding DNA plasmid contamination. A few weeks ago, I wrote an article titled Check and Mate, which summarizes the DNA plasmid contamination issue and discusses the imminent endgame as well as potential actions to address it. You can read the article here. We don't need to. Um... Uh, blah, blah, blah. Thanks to Jeff Payne's eagle eye, please check out his subject here. It seems that someone had already submitted a freedom of information request pertaining to the DNA contamination issue with the TGA. Not surprisingly, the TGA has responded in a very discreet, comprehensive manner. Now let's delve into the TGA's response to this crucial DNA contamination matter. You can access the TGA's response here, but please note that it is quite extensive, running a lengthy 74 pages. Can you just click the response, please, Alex? I'm not going to read all 74 pages, but we might go through a few of them. So just where, respo- uh, where response is underlined, if you click on that, that I've, should... I've clicked on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, here we go. It's... This is the TGA's response. Why is it all black? Oh, Funny you should say that. The entire 74 pages is redacted. Oh, no way! The entire document. Oh, my... I thought... Okay, so for audio listeners, and we have a lot more audio listeners, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We've noticed a big uptick. We will make sure that you are uh, looked after. So I want to describe... I've brought up a PDF of this FOI 4558. Yep. And the first couple... So page... 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight are literally black. Just then page eight says lot number GK3909. Yep. And then black, then black, then black. Dates, black, black, black. This is the craziest thing. This is just a waste of bandwidth. They shouldn't have even bothered. Totally. And, and printer ink as well. Like, tell, tell me in what world this is okay. This, this so, is crazy. So, <laughs> just, to, just to actually put some context around this, because people probably don't even really know what we're talking about, because we haven't really sp- spoken in depth about the latest things that have been coming out about these mRNA vaccines. Right from the beginning of the vaccine rollout, we were assured that the mRNA could not uh, make alterations to your DNA at all and could not be, um, what's it called, transfected into your genome, essentially. Now, what has subsequently come out since then, because a scientist called Kevin McKiernan from America, he runs his own lab, does his own testing, and he had a friend who was a doctor who was administering these vaccines. And he even says it himself, for reasons unknown to him, his, this, his doctor friend actually kept a hold, hold of every single individual vial that he used because they kept a little tiny bit of vaccine left in the bottom of them. Because, remember, these vials, you would I think you're getting like three shots per vial or something like that. So there's a tiny little bit of this uh, mRNA vaccine left in every vial. And he sent them to his mate, Kevin McKeon, to actually analyze them in his lab and have a look and see what was in these things. And when he has done the analysis on it, he has found... So a thing called DNA plasmids. So essentially, the mRNA shots do contain the mRNA that we were told about, but they're actually contaminated with varying degrees of um, DNA and DNA plasmids, which essentially are different lengths of DNA chains which are inside these uh, vaccines themselves. They're also contaminating with a thing called uh, SV40. And I'm not 100% over and above this, hold on one second. Uh, yeah, I'm not 100% all over the SV40 uh, side of this. I want to do further research into it. But essentially, I believe that SV40 is a, like a, it's kind of like a, a, a DNA pathway that is used in the manufacturing process of these vaccines to essentially grow the mRNA vaccines. And... SV40 is supposed to actually be purified out of these vaccines before they're actually administered. But it hasn't been in many of these vials that Kevin McKeon actually tested himself. It's in there. And SV40 actually can promote cancer. Oh, shit. And we have seen the rise of turbo cancers very, very recently, right? So, anyway, so in in response to all this, obviously someone's put in a a freedom of information request to the TGA to get more information on what they know about this DNA plasmid and SV40 contamination that they have found in the vials. And the entire 74 pages, which means there's a lot of information enclosed. It's not one page. It's not not the one page of the Uluru Statement of the Heart that Albanese thought it was. It's 74 pages of black. Completely blacked out. It's crazy. So... Trust me when I say I'm that... watching I'm watching the X Files at the moment. I started the X Files from the beginning. Yep. And this is more secretive than, than what happens in a dramatized show. Yeah. It's about it's, conspiracy theories. The truth is stranger than fiction, my friend. Yes. 
right? And and the the funny thing is, is, Alex hasn't seen Happy Four, so he didn't know what to expect. So you didn't even. I thought there was something wrong with my computer. That's right. You didn't even realize on the main page, just underneath, there was yeah, a screenshot of, of every single individual document, but you didn't even know what you're looking at. Oh my god! So yeah, for audio listeners, literally seventy four pages of black, direct from the TGA in response to a Freedom of Information request. So. I, I'm saying one of these things right now, one of the accountability things that I want to see is I want to see the TGA 100% completely reformed. I want to see the it go back to being 100% public funded and just remove the ability for corrupt pharmaceutical companies to pay their way through the TGA. Reformed is not the right word. It needs to be stopped. Yeah, it needs yeah. to be deleted yep. and it needs to be completely... like. Uh, a, a completely new body, and I agree with you. It needs to be publicly funded, yep. and it needs to work in the interest. And we we should have a say at least in what we believe the at least the um, aims and goals of successful tests should be. Totally, absolutely. Because they're clearly not doing that. No, and it it needs to go back to being a proper scientific body. And what I mean by that is. They need to actually assess things properly in a scientific manner. So when a sponsor or a pharmaceutical company sends them trial results, they need to go, hey, cool, thanks for your bundle of trial results. Give us the individual patient-level data for every single trial participant that was in that trial so we can assess that stuff properly ourselves. Not your pretend peer-reviewed bullshit, which is just the bit that you've packaged up to send away to people that, like, there is no other conclusion that they can come to because you've packaged the only information up that supports your cause... And then you've sent that through. So if you can bring up the next resource, which is... Uh, no, no, no. I want to go the Children's yeah. Health Defence. How Pfizer hid nearly 80% of COVID vaccine trial deaths yeah. from regulators. So herein is the next step of the problem, right? And if you can zoom in slightly more. So this story is from uh, the childrenshealthdefence.org. Uh, from the 27th of October, 2023, how Pfizer hid nearly 80% of COVID vaccine trial deaths from regulators. According to an analysis published this month in the International Journal of Vaccine Theory, Practice and Research uh, of Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine clinical trial data, the vaccine makers hid fatality data from regulators in order to qualify for emergency use authorization. That would help. Yeah, like, it would you help. think about it. Yeah, you can't have dead people in your trial yeah. when you're trying to get an emergency use. Totally. And, and think about, so just to put this in some context as well before we continue reading it, just think about the fact that they'd already built in a safeguard mechanism for their product by saying you weren't fully vaccinated until two weeks after your second shot. So if anyone died after the first shot, they were classified as unvaccinated. That If anyone died after a week or less than a week after their second shot, they were unvaccinated. Yeah, 13 days after the second shot, they were yeah. classified as unvaccinated. But it gets worse. So, can you zoom in slightly more, sorry? Right, get better eyes then. Yep, that's fine. Um, and scroll up slightly because you just missed a start. Here we go. So, Pfizer-BioNTech delayed reporting vaccine-associated deaths among uh, the vaccine clinical trial participants until after the US Food and Drug Administration issued an emergency use authorization for the product. The vaccine makers also failed to account for a large number of subjects who dropped out of the trial. Together, these strategies kept regulators and the public ignorant of a 3.7-fold increase in cardiac deaths among subjects who received the vaccine, according to analysis in the International Journal of Vaccine Theory, Practice and Research. 
The authors of the paper described it as a forensic analysis defined by the US National Institutes of Standards and Technology as the use of scientific methods or expertise to investigate crimes or examine evidence that might be presented in a court of law. What the analysis shows, Corinne, I think it's Michaels maybe, PhD, yeah. retired distinguished professor of biology at Queens College, New York, led the daily clout Pfizer-BioNTech documents investigations team on what the authors claim was the first independent examination of original data from the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 mRNA vaccine clinical trial. Now, just to hover on that moment for a second, it is two and a half years after they started pumping these things inside billions of people all over the world, and this is the first independent examination of the original data. She'll be right, mate. She'll be right. Investigators looked at each of hey, the... Hey, hey, it doesn't. It, technically, this doesn't matter. Because they have immunity anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually right. Yeah. Although, maybe not so much. And we'll get to that. Okay. Investigators looked at each of the 38 deaths occurring between July 27, 2020, the start of the Phase 2 and 3 of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine trial, and March 13, 2021, the end date culminating in Pfizer-BioNTech's six-month interim report. This trial phase involved 44,060 subjects. Half received a dose of the vaccine, half got a placebo consisting of an inactive sterile salt solution. That probably had DNA in it too. Probably. Uh, the trial was unusual because at week 20, after the FDA issued the emergency use authorization for the vaccine, trial subjects in the placebo, uh, placebo group were allowed to switch to the vaccinated group and receive their first shot. But it wasn't allowed... It wasn't allowed. Remember the story. We spoke about it. Yeah, it was encouraged. It, it, no, I, thought, I thought they said they made them do it because it would be immoral of them to not protect the members of the group. Yeah, so it, it goes into this. I thought that was the case at the time too, but it turns out it, what technically it would have been unethical, based on the positive results of the trial, it would have been unethical not to Regardless offer of the, the vaccine to the uh, control group. Sure. So not every single one of them took it. Um, I, the, the, those guys that... Have, they should have said, like, I'll stay on this Plekabo. This Plekabo seems to work. Yeah, I feel, I feel great. I feel, I feel excellent on Plekabo. Yeah. <laughs> Switching from the placebo to the vaccinated group, or unblinding, normally occurs when the benefit of the drug is so great that not treating subjects becomes unethical. For example, investigators might consider unblinding a cancer trial if at some point all untreated patients deteriorated or died, but all treated patients improved. Unblinding conditions may be specified in the study design, but they usually involve input or review from medical ethicists. Of 20,794 unblinded placebo subjects in the Pfizer trial, 19,685 received at least one dose of the vaccine. So only about 1,100 of them didn't take the vaccine at this point. They're still so, alive. So that's our control group. Yep. Normally, the decision to unblind a vaccine trial would be based on the product's safety and effectiveness in reaching certain endpoints or objectives. Endpoints for a drug to prevent viral infections might be a positive test or self-reported COVID-19 illness. In brackets, the case numbers that drove much of uh, COVID's uh, policy, illness requiring hospitalisation or death. But, perhaps unexpectedly, after 33 weeks, the data revealed no significant difference between deaths in the vaccinated and placebo groups for the initial 20-week placebo-controlled portion of the trial. After week 20, after most former placebo subjects had received the vaccine, deaths among those in the vaccine group continued unabated. Mm. The, 
The authors revealed inconsistencies between data presented in uh, Pfizer-BioNTech's six-month interim report and subsequent publications by Pfizer-BioNTech trial site administrators. In quotes, Most importantly, we found evidence of an over 3.7-fold increase in the number of deaths due to cardiac events in the vaccinated individuals compared to those who received only the placebo. This means that 79% of relevant deaths were not recorded in time to be included in Pfizer's regulatory paperwork. Wow. By not including relevant subject deaths in the case report, Pfizer obscured cardiac adverse event signals, allowing the EUA to proceed unchallenged. Now, I'm, I'm going to read a bit more because this does get interesting. How did Pfizer get around legal and ethical obligations? The Pfizer-BioNTech data obtained through a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit uncovered four additional deaths in the vaccine group and one more in the placebo group. But Pfizer failed to include these data in the FDA submission despite an explicit study design requirement to do so. These data and how they differ from what Pfizer-BioNTech reported in their applications are summarized in Table 3 of Michael's study. One case involved a 63-year-old woman who died 41 days after receiving the shot, but whose death only entered the pool, uh, the data pool 37 days later. Another was a 58-year-old woman whose death 72 days after vaccination went unreported for 26 days. Had Pfizer-BioNTech met their legal and ethical obligation to report all serious adverse events, their data would have shown equal deaths in placebo and vaccine groups, which would have shown no clear benefit of the vaccine. How are they able to skirt these obligations? For one, they were able to hide behind the 2005 Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness PrEP Act, which provided an almost impenetrable liability shield for vaccine manufacturers for, in quotes, medical countermeasures in response to any public health emergency. Second, because COVID-19 was viewed as a national health emergency, regulators uh, abandoned the established patient-centered safely based approval process requiring years of preclinical animal testing and Pfizer-BioNTech unsurprisingly went along. So do you guys remember at the beginning of the vaccine rollout where they're like, we haven't rushed the rollout, they've gone through the exact same safety and effectiveness procedures and blah, 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 blah. It was all bullshit. It was all bullshit the entire I like time. that post you put up today on, on the Instagram yeah. of... Us conspiracy theorists. So what does it say? Uh, um, like pe people uh, think all of us ca crazy conspiracy theorists are coming out with all these wild theories. And really, all we really did was we heard something that we'd never heard before. And we thought, oh, that doesn't really make too much sense to me. So maybe I can check. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, she was really well so done. So good. Um, let me read a little bit more and then, we'll, and then we'll actually discuss this because there's one more key bit of info slightly further down. Here we go. Timing of death reports raises questions. This is the thing that... This is what shows you they knew what they were doing. Michaels also raised issues regarding total death reports and their timing. Since the death total from both study groups, 38, appeared surprisingly low to study authors, particularly during a pandemic, they undertook their own analysis based on population mortality expectations at the time. Assuming that age-adjusted death rates for the study subjects were similar to those of the general population, they estimated that 222 subjects should have died from July 27, 2020 to March 13, 2021. The reported number of 38 is just 18% of the expected number. Michaels explained this by the large number, 4.2% of discontinued subjects, in quotes. 
The most concerning of these were subjects, in quotes, lost to follow up, which means missing scheduled visits or other required activities. We've spoken about this. This is this that part has come up before yeah. where they actually lost track of some of the participants. So, in other words, is that because they were dead? Pro quite possibly. Yeah. yeah. Pfizer BioNTech tried to reach these subjects via phone, certified mail, or through their emergency contact, but despite their efforts, could not account for 395 subjects who had dropped out. Um, it's hard to do to respond to any of those things when you're dead. Yeah. The only thing that you can do when you're dead is vote Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> the authors wrote. These are not insignificant numbers and could easily account for the low number of deaths reported in the safety period of the trial. Given the importance of knowing the status of each trial subject, there should have been greater effort to locate these individuals. Additionally, Pfizer-BioNTech was responsible for oversight of the trial sites. Sites with excessive numbers of loss to follow-up should have been evaluated for performance. Now, they go through a little bit about trial sites. I'm not going to go into that too much. We have spoken about trial sites before because of the whistleblower that came out. But no, 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 uh, just stop there. This is the... Okay, this is the main bit that I wanted to bring up. Um, finally, based on the data, it appears Pfizer-BioNTech was in no hurry to enter death reports before the EUA submission deadline, particularly for the vaccine group. Of the 38 reported deaths, only one case was added on the day the subject died. Delays of 20 and 30 plus days were common. One death took 72 days to find its way into the database and all were entered as occurring on the reporting day, not on the actual date of oh. death. Of the eight subjects in the vaccine group that should have been reported by December 10, 2020, the EUA application cutoff, the average reporting delay was 17.5 days for subjects in the vaccine group, but just 5.9 days for deaths among subjects in the placebo group. They knew 100% full well what they were doing. They but, were... but this, do you know what's genius about this? What? It, they're gonna, they're, some admin chick is going to get pinned for this. Potentially, but uh, I believe that the PrEP Act and all of the vaccine liability uh, provisions given by governments around the world, I believe is not... Uh, it, I think it is um, superseded if the uh, vaccine company has been found to have committed fraud in gaining approval. This is fraud. Well, okay, I'll put this out there. I don't think anything will happen with this. I think they get away. They'll just say, oh, no, Sally was looking after... Um, Sally was looking after placebo group deaths, and she's, Sally's very efficient. Jenny was looking after the deaths for um, the vaccinated group, and she's very poor at her job, but don't worry, we have fired her, so we've now fixed Look, that problem. maybe, maybe, maybe not, but there's, there's a lot of things happening around the world at the moment which are making these vaccine companies way less powerful, i.e. their stock price is dropping every single day as people refuse the vaccines. I think that um, people en masse are now at least alert to the fact that the, the they were sold an incorrect bill of goods on these products. And generally, if you are sold a faulty product by a company, you probably won't be jumping out of your skin to buy their next product that they come out with. So I think they're going to have real financial dramas down the track. Now, they have made uh, hundreds of billions guess, of dollars. If you had to guess how, how what percentage Pfizer is down year to date, what would you say? 50 to 60%. At least. 40%. Okay, 40%. so, well, 40% is pretty bad. 
Yeah. Um, did they have a drop last year? So that's a year to date for this year. Did they have a drop as well last year? So over the five years, so the top, the top was $61 a share. It's a 50% drop from the top. Right. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the next thing about that, like at least with that story coming out, as a, as a government and as a country, at least that should make us go, hey, the TGA needs to actually look at the individual patient level data of every single patient in a trial now because we can no longer take the, the vaccine, the sponsor's word for it. So there should be a complete review and change of policy at the TGA. If burn you were it actually... down, burn it down, yeah. rebuild a completely different thing. Now, here's the next thing. Can you please bring up the uh, Jen- the Jared Rennick clip? So here is the next uh, government body who essentially was asleep at the wheel. So before you start playing it, this is a clip from uh, last week's Senate estimates hearing where Jared Rennick was questioning a uh, member from the Office of Gene Technology, Re- the regulator. Uh, because again, remember, we were told right from the beginning that these vaccines are not genetic products, which is why the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator did not need to assess these themselves. And it's also why there was no genotoxicity uh, testing required before approval. So please play the clip. I have a Pfizer document here from their own website. It you says... Table that'll circulate it, so you yep, can do that. know what we're talking about. Gene therapies are a delicate <coughs> and uh, intentional process encapsulating the desired gene. Uh, manufacturing gene therapies is challenging uh, and it requires certain steps, including transfection. That is on Pfizer's own website. I'm happy to table that. Uh, actually, I've just got to read one other thing, sorry. And then I have also from the website of the American Society of gene and cell therapy because the vaccine it's referring to the uh, COVID uh, mRNA vaccine introduces new genetic material into cells for a short period of time to induce antibodies it is a gene therapy as defined by the American Society of Gene and Cell Therapy they know uh, and then the TGA's own uh, Pfizer non-clinical report page 19 says the proposed commercial scale manufacturing process includes use of linear Linearized plasmid DNA template for mRNA production. Can you pause it there for so a second? So we've now got Pfizer themselves who admit. So uh, one thing which I forgot to bring up a resource for it, but that's just reminded me of it, just to throw out there too. On top of all of these faulty trial datas and how they hit stuff from regulators, etc., 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 what he just said there, uh, the actual vaccine that went to the public was not the same as the vaccine used in the trial because the method of production changed because in the original trial they're obviously only doing small batches when they went to go to the larger trial that's when they had to obviously do these massive vats full of mRNA which as he just stated uh, was essentially using those DNA uh, plasmids as like a um, template to build off of so it's the actual vaccine itself has never even had a proper trial either. Anyway, continue. It, that the mRNA vaccines for gene therapy, the American Society of Gene and Cell Therapy admits, admits the mRNA vaccines are gene therapy, and we've got the TGA themselves admit the DNA was used in the manufacturing process. Why wasn't 
the actual mRNA vaccine tested for genotoxicity and why didn't the uh, Office of Genetic uh, OTGR Therapeutics uh, look at it in terms of a gene technology? Um, Dr. Raj Bula, Gene Technology Regulator. Thank you for your question, Senator. I think the first part about the genotoxicity, that question has been asked before because the Therapeutic Goods Administration was the approving authority for the vaccine products. That is a question for TGA on genotoxicity. In relation to your question around manufacturing, I think it's useful to put a bit of context around that in that um, the committee is aware the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines were fully formulated and imported into Australia, which meant that there was actually no manufacture of the mRNA or the vaccine product itself here in Australia. Um, if indeed the mRNA was being manufactured here, and it's correct that gene technology was used in the modification of the mRNA, then under the Gene Technology Act, an approval would have been required for that manufacturing step. Oh, well, that contradicts what you've said previously. You've said previously no. gene therapy and gene technology wasn't used. Now you're saying because it was produced in another country that you're not responsible for checking uh, the gene therapy. So the Gene Technology it, Act gene technology. Does, doesn't reach into manufacturing in other countries? But it still involves transfection here. It goes in. It transfects cells of Australian citizens. No. I'm just going to pause it there. You know, you know that since she was asked about this before, and they knew that they were found to have fucked up, mm -hmm. that they've just gone and gone to lawyers and said, "What do we do?" Yep. And the lawyers have said, "Like, let's find a bit." Okay, no, it kind of says in the documentation that it's about manufacturing here. Mm -hmm. So what we'll say is, we'll say that it doesn't come under our purview because we've imported it. Yeah. So just just to make sure everyone understands what's going on here, she so the the, the head of the office of gene technology regulator in Australia has essentially said that it's not her job or her department's job to regulate the gene technology in these vaccines because they were produced overseas. So not like if you apply that to literally any other product. So why would the TGA assessing the vaccines for approval, like safety and efficacy over here? They were produced overseas. Why even do an approval process? What about every imported car? Why would we get that compliance to make sure it... We have that. Australian design rules. Yeah, well, but, but you don't even need to apply those, do you? Because they're manufactured overseas. Just yeah. let them send whatever they want here and sell yeah. it to the public. Slash uh, mandated on the public. I wonder, though, if does this change Moderna's factory? Are the people at Moderna going, oh, shit, we've just built this factory and we were going to use DNA in it. Well, as and I... And now, now she's saying that we can't. Or we have to get it a license. Now, well, no, no, no. As I commented on this post, I said, well, it sounds like uh, Australia, the UK and Canada, who are all building Moderna factories, are just going to do swap deals with each other. Oh, yes, of so course. So uh, it, will, it will be advertised to the Australian people as, oh, exports. Look how much we're exporting. Look how much money we're making from exporting. So that way the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator can just take the fucking day off again. <laughs> all right, keep playing. I'll keep playing. I disagree with that. Well, that's what Pfizer say. Even they admit transfection is a part of gene therapy. No, Senator. 
So you're, you're disagreeing with Pfizer, the people who actually made the vaccine, that transfection isn't a part of gene therapy? I think she's disagreeing with you at the moment. Well, it's not my Senator words. Rennie. I've just read out what Pfizer said. Welcome to my world. I think it comes down to the definition of what is a gene. Welcome to my world. What, mm -hmm. what is... Now, these guys have the shits with Rennie because he keeps pressing them. That's right. Because they fucked up. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this is something, this is a, a, a theme that I've spoken about a lot over the last, particularly the 12 months, but yeah, you're starting to see it, the, the cracks in it appearing over and over and over again. These people have not had to justify their position to anyone for three years. Yeah. So they are arrogant. They have, they've, they've stopped even bothering to do the absolute most basic research into their own responsibilities because they haven't had to. Because yeah. they're accountable to no one. Now they're being held accountable, and all of a sudden, literally her only answer was, no, I disagree, Senator. Like, that's not good enough. I just said. Welcome to my world. I think it comes down to a definition of what is a gene therapy. Yep, that's right. And I'm, I'm relying on the manufacturer. But anyway, that's all. So uh, it says for audio listeners, that, oh, shh. Sorry, I've just lost that. Right. I think it Hold comes on. down to a definition of what is a gene therapy. Yep, that's right. And I'm, I'm relying on the manufacturer. But anyway, that's all. So it says, meanwhile, in April 2022, the Office of Gene Technology Regulator said, so this is the same chick, said... Now, I note that obviously the COVID vaccines had gene technology in them. Uh, what... Uh, role did the Office of Gene Technology play in reviewing the safety of those vaccines? Uh, we don't actually review the safety or the efficacy of any therapeutic product. That's the role of the Therapeutic Goods Administration. So our, our role in terms of the risk assessment is limited to just looking at the containment of the genetically modified organism, you know, with most of the vaccines being um, an AAV, a virus, within the vaccine. We look at the people that are working and administering the vaccine. We look at how it's, if it's imported, the author authorizations for import, uh -oh. storage, transport and disposal. So our role in terms of the assessment is fairly limited to just looking at the environmental risks and making sure that the GMO is being handled correctly through all the stages up to administration and to a patient. So again, we're not at the accountability stage yet with these people, but we're getting close. And every single close. step along the way, uh, lets the, it just hands them that little bit of extra rope and they just continue to keep hanging themselves. Because Rennick kept receipts. There's a lot of members of the public who keep receipts. Yeah. These people will be held accountable in one way, shape or form. And I don't think the right people will. I think, I think Sally's going to get, or Jenny's going to get fired. And I think some of these, some of these people that, uh, some of these glass ceiling heads of these departments are probably not going to work here anymore, and they're just going to be replaced by other shitheads that yep. are going to continue on the exact same thing. And, and, and look, you might be right. Uh, the number one thing that I would like to see out of this is I would like to see our our viewers and listeners disseminate this information to the people in their networks, mm -hmm. and when the next. Uh, you know, scam comes up, 
and you're getting that same emotional call to action to do something, mm. tell the people in the networks who fell for the COVID vaccine stuff to go, hey, look, last time that this happened and you were all in right up front, you know, it didn't turn out the way that you thought it was going to turn out. Let's just take a step back. Let's take a big, deep breath in and out and uh, completely unemotionally and rationally uh, analyze the data that we have and try to make proper, informed decisions. And, and that... I, I didn't bring it up, but I'll just um, I'll just walk you through it. I don't know if you saw it all. During the week, a guy called Scott Galloway appeared on Bill Maher's talk show in America. Now, Scott Galloway was one of the big figureheads early on in the COVID response. Um, he was a member of Trump's uh, like health team, was very much a public figurehead and kind of like a, an, an assistant to Fauci, and very hard... Man, uh, was a big proponent of lockdowns, masking, mandatory vaccination, etc. And he, he, so he appeared on the show, and now Bill Maher's show is a very left-wing audience. Not as left as it used to be, because he said a few things which are more centrist recently, but he still has a very left-wing audience. And so in this clip, Scott Galloway basically says that uh, during, at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, he was very much in favour of a harsher level lockdown, he got that wrong, uh, but he goes, but we were operating off incomplete data sets and we were just doing our best. And yeah. then the, the lefty liberal audience gets up and like applauds him and blah, 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 blah. Uh, all of us were operating off incomplete data sets and some of us who are not healthcare professionals got it right and people like yourself got it wrong. And at the time one of the main reasons why we were against a lot of the mandated things was because we knew that they were operating off an incomplete data set. Like we said with the vaccines, we didn't know the vaccines were going to be dangerous. All we knew was that there was no way that they could know that they weren't dangerous before yeah. they started administering them, right? So we knew because we're operating off an incomplete data set, let's fucking take five minutes to see if we can get this right. They are just shifting that narrative back to like they're, they're trying to get the people back on side oh like we, we just did our best we just did our best with the information that was supplied to us have you seen much stuff on um i think john campbell's covering a little bit of this at the moment in the uk is actually yeah. having a COVID inquiry right now yeah and i again should Going have, through matt hancock's text messages again yeah, so I should have brought up some resources for it, but essentially... Maybe what, do something for next week. We can do something on this next week. More information will come out during the week. At the moment, um, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talking about how they're sort of lamenting the stuff that the Inquiry is currently focusing on. They're currently talking about more things like bad language and etc., rather than the actual policies. Or that's being, technique. That's, what, that's the only defence they have, so they're going to use that. Yeah, of course. Uh, but essentially it, it appears that... So Matt Hancock, who was the health, the chief health minister from the UK, who was the guy who got caught fingering his girlfriend while everyone was el else was under lockdown conditions. One of his staffers. Yeah, same, same, same deal. Girlfriend, staffer, whatever. Um, he... Ev everyone around his orbit has essentially got receipts of them saying, this guy is completely incompetent, he doesn't know what he's doing, and every decision that he makes every single day is contributing to the deaths of more and more people. Yeah. So that's just the start of this COVID inquiry. So first inquiry of its kind in the world. Uh, in Australia, I know that we covered on the show a few months ago that they... Uh, 
are establishing... Well, uh, Albanese wanted to establish a COVID inquiry. Uh, our, our senators like Malcolm Roberts and, and all of the, the freedom fighters have successfully uh, passed a motion to uh, create the terms of reference for a COVID Royal Commission for next year. So they're currently in the process of creating the terms of reference for that COVID Royal Commission to actually pay attention to and go into. So that accountability will come. It's not yeah, going to be straight away. I, I disagree. I reckon, that, I reckon that the terms of reference will be things like what language is used in yeah, public I, office to talk no, about. No, I don't think so. Because if that was the case, then they just would have gone ahead with the government inquiry as Albanese has uh, put it Look, up. I sound dismissive, but I actually think that an even more important awakening is happening because at the end of the day, fuck the system. The system, yeah. the system sucks, and the more people realise the system sucks, the more people won't rely on it, and the more people that won't rely on it, it doesn't matter what policies they put in. Yeah, right? true. Because we can navigate it ourselves, and we know now that how much bullshit's around. So yep. I'm actually... And this, if you don't mind, I can segue into the, the next topic, hmm. which That's- is... Just one one point on that that I literally just thought of. In a way, if we got real accountability from these institutions and they hung people out to dry and scapegoated people, it would actually be easier after that for them to just continue on doing corrupt shit because you just hang the puppet at the top and then you just keep on rolling. So, So in a way, if they get away with it, it probably is more effective at changing uh, the public's idea of these institutions and and lowering their level of trust for these institutions which is really what we need moving forward yeah i'm not sure people are looking that hard but um it go it, it goes in line with what we spoke about last week in regards to the war i want to talk about the war just for a little bit yeah we mentioned last week that we find it interesting that it seems very hard to ignore the fact that what Israel is doing in response to what Hamas did yeah. is worse. Yeah. Even 9,000 people was the count this morning. 9,000 people have been killed yeah. in response to 1,000 people dying from the Hamas attack. And and again, how many of those 9,000 people were Hamas members? We don't even know. Yeah, we don't know. It could literally um, be 9,000 civilian non-Hamas members. Israel has bombed repeatedly a refugee camp. Yeah because they thought there are tunnels with a leader of Hamas in there. Uh, it should also be noted that the actual leaders of Hamas are in Qatar. Mm-hmm. We're not bombing Qatar. We're not looking in Qatar. The yep. actual leaders are in Qatar. So because the media is is having to find this tightrope, it's so hard for them to convince us that Israel is in the right. Yeah, he's the good guy. They're still trying but they're softly, softly. Now, our government is in 100% uh, uh, support alignment. Of Israel. Support of and, and here's a way you can tell. Where are our reporters? When they report from on the ground, where are they reporting from? Uh, a green screen in a safe location. <laughs> yeah, potentially. But Tel Aviv. Yeah. Tel Aviv's in Israel. Okay, so we're in Israel saying... Like, you wouldn't be in Israel if you're saying Israel is committing war crimes. Yeah, and, and as discussed last week, like, the, the main reason why the Australian government's in support of Israel is because of our AUKUS alignment uh, with the US, and the US is in full support of Israel. Okay, so that's that's a great note. So this is where an example of where the system is designed 
to uh, help a particular agreement, whether that thing is right or wrong. Totally, yeah. So we know what's better for humanity, which mm -hmm. is no war, stop, figure out a deal. No one's talking about a deal. That's right. America's saying ceasefire till we can get our troops over. We are sending troops over, mm -hmm. and our troops, are uh, uh, they will be in Israel. Yeah. Okay? Now, here's going to be the interesting. Someone said something to me. Okay, I'll mention this part just quickly. I don't want to delve, uh, I don't want to go too deep on it. Mm -hmm. He said something interesting, which was like this: the timing of this couldn't be any worse for Albanese. Just come out of the referendum. Yep. Where we're trying to make good, because white people took brown people's land, mm -hmm. and now we are in a situation where white whiter people are taking browner people's land mm -hmm. and we are backing the white people. Yeah. Okay, so that was an... I hadn't thought of that. I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty pretty interesting. Now, what's even more interesting is I want to show a clip of uh, our current Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, back in the... what I don't even know what year this is, but it's old because he's... This is, this is sort of the fat... Uh, nerdy looking elbow he's much better shape now he did trim out a bit yeah 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 uh, and, and it says Prime Minister Albanese the Palestinians must be given their homeland right Israelis continue to demonise all Palestinians as terrorists Palestinians experience Israelis as occupiers and employers of cheap, cheap labour interrogators and jailers meanwhile the government of Israel continues to allow fundamentalists to build illegal settlements on Palestinian land that it is now more than 35 years since UN Security Council Resolution 242 was carried. Since that time, the systematic repression of the occupied by the occupiers has been at the core. Palestinians must be given their homeland. The occupation of Gaza, the West Bank and East Jerusalem by the Israelis has created generations of oppressed people. The creation of the State of Israel in 1948 and subsequent events have produced up to 3.8 million Palestinian refugees today. It is unfortunate that it was... Okay, so that's elbow stance. Yeah. Now, here's more of it. Here's more of it. And, so and this is at a... That stance is well in line with his leftist politics. Yeah. So that would be a consistent stance if he had that now. Yeah. In the grainy video, Mr Albanese can be seen protesting against Israel's occupation of Palestine next to a sign that reads, Stop the Israeli slaughter, free Palestine now. Mr Albanese also used a microphone to condemn the Israeli military. In the grainy video... Okay, now what I didn't check is... What has... Has he tweeted anything about this? Let me check. So what are your thoughts on that, guys? Uh, this is... I, I guess this is always sort of the problem with politics. Now, you can claim... Like, those, those, both those videos are quite old. So you can claim that people can obviously change over time, and maybe his views on the region have changed during his... Uh, I don't know, the last 10 or 20 years, or however long it's been since then. So it is potentially correct that he has just changed his mind on those things. I don't, I don't really believe that, though, because 
as we've discussed before, generally the left side of politics at the moment looks at everything through the lens of oppressor and oppressed. And so like you said, with the recent referendum, the, the white colonialists are the oppressor, the indigenous peoples of Australia were the oppressed. With this Israel-Palestine conflict, you could argue that the Israelis are the oppressor uh, of Palestine and the Palestinians are the oppressed. So it, for, for the Albanese government to publicly back Israel, it is completely inconsistent with his own personal belief system. Yeah, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to come off that such a strong stance to... Like, I feel like this could be the end of Albo's career. And not... Sorry, not like... He, does, he won't quit. He doesn't have to quit. But in the eyes of the people to to go and say, okay, this is what my life has been, my viewpoint on this has been, oh, now I'm in the big chair, now that's changed? Yeah. That's not what we're about. No. And they can't even justify why he's, he's changed. Yeah. It's almost as if, and uh, you can tell me who quoted this, like who said this original quote, these people have grand ideas and they get to the top and then the men in suits walk in and have a conversation with them and go, oh, by the way, this is where it's at. Like, this is what how it works. Is that Alex Jones? That is Vladimir Putin. Oh, yeah. Talked about the Close American enough. presidency, yeah. right? And that's a good point too because, like, like you said, this couldn't have happened at a worse time for Albo because we're just straight off the back of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the way that the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been uh, categorised is completely unprovoked attack on Ukraine. Yeah. And Russia being the, uh, they're the big oppressor and Ukraine are the oppressed in that situation. So our government has backed Ukraine. And yet, in this conflict, like, they... The one with all the money, yep. the one with all the resources. Yep. And technically, the one who has been, uh, you know, the whole open-air prison system of of Gaza for however many years uh, like they've, they've completely flipped that, that narrative they're like oh no yeah. Israel's the oppressed because the they're Palestinians... snooking themselves yeah, they're snooking exactly. themselves because, because of the, the yes referendum yeah. because of the uh, because of the Russia-Ukraine war they have absolutely snooked themselves yep exactly because they're completely inconsistent also... with their beliefs and do you know what I think they're trying to um, cha change the subject with well I'm getting a lot of stuff pushed to my Algo about military aggressions by China mm -hmm. on AUKUS powers in the South China Sea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the No Agenda show has been covering clips for the last two years about how they thought the next big conflict was coming in 2027 and it was going to be between the US and China. So they mm -hmm. could just be setting up for it. Yeah, but uh, I, I just wanted to mention that I think it's very, very, very hard. I really think this is probably going to be the biggest awakening for people because it is so contradictory. Like, you can't go and... you can't. And yeah. it would appear that the Arab world has more influence than what... Oh, especially in Australia, than what the, uh, Jew, uh, the Jewish uh, people have here. Yeah, and that, that could literally just be down to populations. There's far yeah. more Muslims and Arabs in the world than there are Jewish people. Yeah. Um, but I, one of the things I said to you during the week too, which I, I do think is going to contribute to the awakening from this situation, is that 
it, from at least from what I've seen, this is the first situation like Tinderbox event that has happened in the last five years where the greater public at large is actually asking for nuance. Absolutely. On the situation. It's great. It's yeah. great. Yeah, this is great. Look, it That's sucks a pro- that these people are dying, but what we need to be doing is stopping our writing letters to our politicians saying, we do not want to go to war. Totally. Let's talk peace. Only talk peace. Only talk solutions. Yep. Killing other brothers and sisters is not... That's, that's totally. Not the way. It's it's never the answer, and mm. this this is actually a really good opportunity for all of you to do a an exercise of self reflection and find out how consistent you your values actually are, mm. because the one thing that we can clearly say, and we've we got the receipts, go back and watch all the old shows, the VK Bros are one hundred percent anti war. Yeah, war ain't a good thing. I don't care like who it is, who did what. Uh, what small number of people got killed by by one side or the other? War only negatively affects the world and yep. the innocent civilians on both sides. So we've been anti-war the whole time. It's been very very interesting to see all the anti-war people turn into war hawks all of a sudden just because it's a different group of ethnicities that are involved in yep. it. So see how consistent you are in your own personal beliefs. Cool. And on that note, let's see you there, guys. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye.